Well, good morning, everybody. Oh, it's good to see your bright and new year faces. Well, we've got a lot of exciting things going on in this new year. Uh, let me just highlight a couple things before the message. Number one, I don't know if you knew this, but we have a through the Bible in a three-year plan. And so um, three years, you get through the whole Bible. We just finished it. And our daily hope, these videos that we show every day, you can get on our app, go on our website. They're based on that plan. Well, we finished the plan, so we're going to change our daily hope videos. And we're going to start this thing called Great Verses. So uh, I think Bob and, yeah, Bob picked out some of his favorite verses, the whole Bible. You can wait you see these verses. Let's show you a lot about Bob. And these amazing verses that will just blow your mind. And these verses are, once a month, we're going to pick one to memorize together as a church. It's something you can do with a friend, your spouse, your kids. Um, it's hard to memorize for me a verse a week. I don't know. They start to kind of all blurn together. But once a month is, is doable. So think about that. And so we have the great verses uh, videos we'll be doing. We have our once a month verse of the month that you can memorize and just get God's word just taking up neurological real estate up there. And then lastly, I'm starting a uh, through the New Testament in a year with my kids. So if you want to see that plan and you want to do that for yourself or with somebody else, check that out. You can go on the, if you go on the app, you go to the face, the, the homepage, click Daily Devo, and you'll see the plan laid out there. You can actually print a PDF, print it out, or just follow it digitally on the app and go through the entire New Testament in a year. It's one chapter a day, five days a week. And if you're wondering, what do you do with the other two days? You catch up. <laughs> so we're going to dive into God's Word. Join me as we begin the second half of Mark, the way of the cross, Chapter 9, verse 1. You don't need to stand because there's a bit of length to it, so just follow along in the book. He said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with them and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he did what we all do when we pray. He was transfigured. And his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And if you remember, Mark is Peter's memoir, so he's kind of going, yeah, okay. Uh, I didn't know what to say so because I was a little freaked out. Verse 7, then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, this is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, they looked around, and they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen. Now get this, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come and they have done to him everything they wished 
just as it is written about him. And when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about with them? Or arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And so they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, get this, Spirits can see, and when the spirit sees Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the, father, the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us, if you can. said that Jesus, or said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my belief. Isn't that a verse right there? I mean, there is a verse for us today. And we're going to come back to that one and sit on that, but take that to heart. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him. Never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. And after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Wow, what? Was that long enough for you? Come on. There's a lot of text there. And there's a reason why um, they're together. And there's a reason why we're going to cover these two moments together in one unit. And I want to use Raphael, the great painter, to help us. Let's go to Raphael's painting. Now, this is a very famous painting that Raphael did. It's um, on display at the Vatican. Now, when Raphael first did this work, he painted it first with just the scene above Jesus transfigured, because that's the cool part. That's the part we all want to focus on, Jesus in glory. Now, have you ever had a moment with God where you just felt his closeness to you? Have you ever had a moment where you just felt like, man, you're on a mountaintop with God. God is near, everything is in its right perspective, and you just never want to leave, right? And so Raphael paints it just like that, but then upon further reflection on the passage, he realized by divorcing it, from this scene down here, the chaos, the confusion, the arguing. Here's the father with the boy. You can see the disciples even have a book, and they're trying to figure out, what do we do with this guy? And they're all pointing and arguing and confused. And what Raphael discerned is that the Bible presents these moments together to help us understand that these crazy everyday moments of our lives, how to pay the bills, how to handle those intractable problems that are in our life. This passage is meant to show us that God wants to bring his presence from the mountain down into these places. And that's what we see Jesus do here. He wants to show us how we can carry the presence of God with us into the most stubborn, resistant, 
challenging areas of our life. And so I'm glad Raphael painted it all together. And we see the two scenes together. And it's really important, secondly, about this passage is, is let's get a little bit of context on where this whole scene happens because it's really important for us. Number one, verse two says, it happens on a high mountain. Now, um, let's go to the picture. The, the, not the video, but just the picture. Uh, yeah, there we go. No, the next one. Yeah, let's go to the next one. Um, here it is, Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon sits 9,000 feet above sea level. And commentators debate, is it Mount Hermon or is it Mount Tabor? And I think it's Mount Hermon because it's the highest point in Israel. And it takes a while to get there. And if you can see, look at the passage, six days later. So the idea might be that it took them six days to get up to this point, up to this mountaintop. And it's up on the mountain, right here on Mount Hermon. Let's go to the next scene. About the height of Palomar Mountain here in San Diego County. Let's go to the next video or, or image. Yeah, here we go. Now, you see Mount Hermon is up there in that, at the far right top. You see it up there? Now, right beneath it is Caesarea Philippi. That is where we ended last year. In December, we looked at when Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And the disciples said, you are the Christ. And then they had that really joyful moment where Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. And he had to rebuke a bunch of people because they didn't know how to make sense of Jesus' statement that he was going to die on the cross and rise from the dead. Now, this is really important here. After that moment, the disciples have got to be really discouraged because in that moment, they are focused on what Jesus said about dying and can't believe what he said about rising. Have you ever done that in your life? Where you focus on the problem and you can't see the promise. And he knows they're discouraged, so he takes them up to this place to teach them how to strengthen their faith when they have to go through hard things because we gotta go through sometimes hard things to get to the good thing. I used to always tell my kids when I was a soccer coach, do hard things today, do great things tomorrow. And Jesus is taking them up to the mountain, to the top, to strengthen them as they grapple with this journey they're about to take to the cross. Because the temptation for them is going to be to focus on the death and to lose sight of the promise of resurrection. Now, what I love about this map is they're on Mount Hermon, Jesus at this moment is literally at the highest point north that he is ever at in his entire ministry. So we are starting at the highest point, at literally the highest point of elevation that he's going to be in the entire book of Mark. And from this moment on, he, with every step that he takes, he will be taking steps of descent going down from the mountain all the way down to Jerusalem, ultimately from the highest point on Mount Hermon to the grave buried in the ground. Now, this is so important for us because as we look at it, what Jesus is going to show us through this whole book, through with every step, is what it means for him and for us to carry our cross. What it means that he carried our cross for us, what it means for us to go through the dark, hard, challenging times, what it means for us to put ourselves to death, to put the areas of our life that are keeping us from God's glory to death. And this whole journey is sort of like a, a journey to illustrate that. Now, what he does with them is fascinating because what he does in this moment is take them to that mountaintop to show them how to strengthen themselves. 
in the face of challenge, discouragement, and we're going to need that because as we head to the cross, we need to learn to pray. Now, check this out. There are 12 references in Mark to prayer. 12. 10 of the 12 occur from chapters 9 to 16. There's only two direct references to prayer up to this moment. So most of what Jesus has to say to us about prayer is about to begin. And so you're going to find that it's a bit of a repetitive theme. I'm going to keep talking about prayer because God wants to talk to you about prayer. Because there's something about prayer that needs to be repeated to us. I don't know about you, but it's one of the hardest areas for me to get locked in in my life. How about you? And so on our way to the cross, we need to learn about the importance of prayer and its unique role in strengthening our faith. So here's the main idea for today. Prayer steeps us in God's presence and strengthens our faith in power. Why do we need to pray? Because number one, prayer steeps us in the presence of God so that we can be strengthened in our faith with the power of God. I want to talk about these two things, God's presence and his power. Let's start with the first, God's presence. Number one, we can start with verse two. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. Now, the first step in getting into God's presence is the willingness to leave the crowd behind and to get alone with God. Because look at this. In verse 14, when they come down the mountain, what do they find? Verse 14 says this. When they come down the mountain, when they came down to the other disciples, they saw a, a large crowd. Now, getting away alone with God has challenges, and it's hard. What makes it hard for you to get alone with God? Now, what we see in this passage is it's the crowd. And the crowd represents all the responsibilities and pressures and demands on our life that make it hard for us to feel like we can get away alone. What is that for you? What makes it hard for you to get alone with God, to make that time? Take a moment. It could be work. It could be you're afraid of being bored. I don't know. Take 10 seconds and share one thing with someone next to you. What's a challenge for you to get alone with God? Go ahead and share one thing. One thing. One thing that makes it tough to close the door. Just one. Okay, it's the important task, it's the people. So get this, guys. On the one hand, it's the things that we're afraid to let go of because the responsibility we feel for them, the time pressure, kids, work, classes, studying, soccer practice. It's also the second challenge are the things we're afraid of facing when we get alone. The things that are going to come up that we want to avoid. Now, for the disciples, what is it? What are they afraid of dealing with? What do they not want to talk about and bring up in prayer? Look at this right here. In verse 12, hey, so Jesus, what's up with Elijah? They want to have a theological conversation with Jesus. Why does Elijah say, you know, the Bible says that Elijah has to come first. Now watch what Jesus does. Jesus says, yeah, yeah, that's true. He does have to come first. But I have a question for you. And he turns the question on them, and he says to them, 
Why does it say that the Son of Man, why is it written that the Son of Man must suffer and be rejected? It represents that topic they don't want to talk about. They don't want to think about. And sometimes getting alone with God means allowing the things in our life, the crosses that we are bearing, to come to the surface. Loneliness, worry, anxiety, busyness, the strain that we feel in some important relationship in our life the uncertainty that we feel about our future. And for others of us, it is nothing more than just, ready for it, the biggest one of all? Boredom. <laughs> Boredom. How many people here have ever been bored in prayer? Raise your hand. Now, man, come on now. Really? Thank you. A few of you are honest. Come on, seriously? Let's try again. Now, be, let's be real honest. I'm going to raise both my hands. <laughs> How many people have ever been bored in prayer? Raise your hands. Come on. All right. The only people who have never been bored in prayer are the people who are probably not praying. So that's one way to not get bored. <laughs> There's only one way to never feel bored in prayer, and that is to never pray. But boredom doesn't mean that God is not there and he's not moving and there's a lot of barriers that can get in the way to keep us from praying. It's the things that we got going on. It's the things we're afraid of facing. Sometimes it is just simply we have convinced ourselves that we are not people of prayer, that we are just not the praying type of people. Do you know what I'm talking about? When you think of someone who is just, man, that person is a prayer warrior, who comes to your mind? You know, you get people that come to mind. And you look at those people and you go, there is nothing that I have in common with that person. You might be thinking right now, easy for you to say, Ryan, you are paid to pray. <laughs> and I talk to people all the time about prayer, and they're like, oh, you're a pastor, man. I mean, what do you know? <laughs> you don't have kids. You don't have deadlines and pressures. You don't have mortgage. You don't have bills. You don't have soccer practice to get to. Oh, oh, wait. The truth is, we find a way, it's one of the barriers to growing in prayers that we've allowed the enemy to convince us we are not a person of prayer, that we can't grow in prayer. Reminds me of my kids learning to juggle. So in soccer, there's this thing called juggling, you know, where you try to keep the ball up with your feet. Ever heard of that? Uh, other cultures, they call it keep-ups or something like that. Um, my daughter was telling me, she's like, the worst was the very beginning because I couldn't even do one. She would drop the ball and boom, it was over the fence. But my kids, my boys were telling her, if you keep at it, you're going to be doing over 100, and it's going to be as easy as can be. But she, it was that first one, and the first one was the hardest, and it took the longest. You see, I think prayer's like that. I think we get into prayer, and we, we go, okay, God, here I am. I'm with you, and boom, the ball's over the fence. And our mind is over the fence. Our mind is back to work. Our mind is back to our kids, and we get distracted we can leave the crowd, but sometimes when we go into prayer, the crowd comes with us into prayer, and we, we allow ourselves to believe we are just not people of prayer. My friends, that is a work of the enemy to convince you that you cannot pray because he knows it is the most important thing you do, and we're about to find out why. I want to talk about this idea of going up the mountain. The mountain is not something Jesus did every day with his disciples. They were not every morning going up to Mount Hermon to have a quiet time. You know, if you go back to the map, I mean, they're going to Jerusalem. They're not every morning, let's hike up to Mount Hermon 
It represents the need for extended time alone with God. Okay? We have our little five minutes with God, and that's important. You're praying in the car, right? You ever do that? That's dangerous. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> No, but seriously, you know, you're praying on the way to work. You get that five minutes before the kids get up. You know, that kind of praying through the whole day thing, that's important. But sometimes you need extended periods of time with God to get alone with him. My wife and I have committed for our 22 years of marriage. We just celebrated 22 years last week. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Every year, we get away alone for 24 to 48 hours for extended time alone. We had a mentor who told us before we got married, one of the best things you can do is every year get away at least once for 24 hours. And we took that advice. And I want to just give that to you as, a, as, as an idea. You see, in the everyday warp and woof of life, my wife and I are in constant communication. Okay, you get the kids. Am I getting the kids? No, you're getting the kids. Okay, am I making dinner? You're making dinner. You're doing the dishes? I'm doing the dishes. You know, and we're always talking, but that's different than the kind of talking you get when you're getting extended time alone. And we took a Mark Foreman bit of advice, and we, he said, when you get these times, don't talk about the kids if you're a parent, and don't talk about work for a little bit. Just, it's like, what else are we going to talk about? And he's like, you're going to talk about the things that you used to talk about before you had all that stuff when you were first falling in love. And, he, and Mark made, always made the point, it keeps you interesting to one another, so you're getting out of the rut of talking about the same things, and we do this with God. There are areas of our life that we let God into on the fly. God, can you take care of this? God, can you cover that? God, I need this. And you're boom, 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 boom with God. But when you're getting alone with God for extended periods of time, it allows things in your life that you maybe haven't wanted to talk about with God to come to the surface. Things that he wants to talk about because there's some area in your life that feels like, if you're really honest, God has no place in and God wants to show you that even, as he says here, in suffering and rejection, he will be there. So, Really quickly, let's, let's take a look at the screen on our list of getting alone with God. I want to take a moment. Let's get practical. If there's anything you walk away with, walk away with this. I would love for you to consider right now, this year, picking one of these ideas or something related that you're going to try to do. Okay? This year, I wanted to suggest that you got 12 months to figure out where this might fit. But try with one of these ideas and talk later today with a roommate, a spouse, a friend about which one of these are something along the lines, something along the lines of getting alone with God for extended time that you want to do. Here we go. Number one, maybe it's weekly. You're going to start to make extended time with God alone, 60 minutes. That's more than five. And if you know that you're getting extended time with God if you feel bored. This morning I had a guy just die laughing. I, I, I never got to ask him why he was, it was so funny, but you know that you're getting that extended time with God when you feel bored, and boredom is the way that you feel the stretch of your soul into new ground of prayer with God, right? Just like your legs hurt when you're pushing your, your stamina in your body, when you're running or your muscles, your soul stretches and can grow in prayer. So when you start to feel bored, you go, oh, now I'm getting stretched. Maybe for you it's five minutes, but maybe you just need to double it to 20. But go for 60. On a monthly basis, maybe it's two to three hours monthly. 
quarterly. Maybe you want to go for an eight-hour day, just a day retreat, not overnight, but just a day retreat. My wife did something like this. Um, actually, she did the annual one. She did 24 hours. Recently, my wife, after moving my son into college, we came back, and she's like, you know, hon, my, my mama brain is going through so much sending my first kid to college. I just need to wrap my mind around what's happening in our family and what God is doing. Can I take 24 hours to go to the Rancho Bernardo Inn and Spa and just meet with God? Come on now. Doesn't, whoever said meeting with God has to be lame. <laughs> I said, you do it, babe. Go be with God. So she took off for 24 hours. So I'm giving you, women, I'm giving you permission. <laughs> and uh, she met with God. When she came back, her and I just sat over coffee and just talked about what she, what got brought up and what she heard from God. Pick one, all right? Talk about it later today. Um, the idea of getting this extended time is so that you can encounter God's presence. You can't encounter God's presence always in a rush. Sometimes we're, we're so distracted, it takes time to let our distracted minds settle. So look at this verse. Verse 2 says this, There he was transfigured before them. When you're willing to get alone with God, you're creating space to have your vision of Jesus renewed. There he was transfigured before them. Now mind you, they have been seeing Jesus every day. But I'll tell you, 24 hours alone with my wife renews my vision. She is not just the mother of my children. She is the lover of my life. She is my soulmate. And that gets renewed. And Jesus wants to renew that vision that you have of him. That he can't get to in your heart when you're only meeting with him in the rush and on the go. There he was transfigured before them, and get this, verse 7, and a voice came from the cloud, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. Prayer renews our vision and our love for Jesus because it helps us regain our perspective of God. Let me give you an example, or actually make a point. I know it doesn't feel practical. I know in the context of your work demands, your family demands, the need to get the kids to school on time, the bills that you got to pay, practice, soccer practices you got to get to, friends you got to see, tests you got to study for. I know that this is not going to sound practical, but I'm going to tell you something that's absolutely true because the Bible says it is. The most important thing you need in your life is the presence of God. The most important thing you need right now in your life is a renewed awareness of God's presence with you. The presence of God renews our perspective about ourselves and changes the way we see our circumstances. When you get it alone with God for extended periods of time, you're allowing a shift in your mindset to happen. So you are no longer seeing Jesus in light of your circumstances you're learning to see your circumstances in light of Jesus. Are you with me? Because sometimes we look at God in light of our circumstances. We define him and who he is by what we are going through or how we feel and what we're experiencing versus the other way around. I'll give you an example. I was sitting with um, a dear loved one 
this last week was having a full-blown panic attack. Ever had one of those? Your heart is breathe is just pounding. Your, your breath is erratic, and there's like a panic look in the person's face, and they're just clutching their face, and they're about to hyperventilate. And I sat next to this loved one, and I just, just put my hand on their shoulder, and I said, hey, just breathe with me. And I just started helping them get out of those short, shallow breaths to deep, deep, slow breaths. And then I just put my hand on their shoulder and started to rub their shoulder. I told them, I'm here with you. I love you. I'm with you. I have you. I'm going to support you. I'm going to be with you. I could just feel the anxiety starting to come down. That's like God's presence. We get into these places where we get so whipped up because we're so focused on the circumstance and we're losing sight of that presence that changes how we see everything. And that opens us to God's power in a really special way. When we, our eyes are on him, he can strengthen our faith so that his power can come into a situation. Look at this. Let's move to the next point. First, getting alone for new vision and a renewed awareness of God's presence. Number two, power. Verse 19, you unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long should I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Now, Jesus comes down the mountain from this amazing mountaintop right into a big, hot mess. Now, just remember this. When you spend time with God, sometimes that's going to happen. You're going to come down right into a situation that's going to want to throw you off and distract you from what God just showed you, but it's not to distract you and throw you off, it's so that you can bring that presence with you into that place. Now, Jesus asked a question. I want to put it to you. He asked the question, you are the statement, you unbelieving generation. All the commentators like to argue about who was Jesus talking about. Was he talking, A, about the unbelieving father, B, the disciples who failed, C, the arguing teachers of the law, or D, the passive looky-loo crowd? Who is Jesus referring to when he says unbelieving generation? Take a moment and just share it. Which one do you think? Go ahead and share. Just real quick, real quick. Oh, yeah, you guys all got this. I could hear it. Yeah, so I'm, I went through like five commentaries, and they all have different theories, but I, I do. I think it's all of them. I think the answer is all of them. This is why. Because every one of us needs to have our faith, faith strengthened. Let me say this again. Every one of us, all of us, have moments where we recognize that our faith isn't strong enough to meet the challenge that we're facing. Now, let me put it to you that, uh, with, a, with a reflective question. Have you, when was the last time you had a moment where you didn't feel like you had enough faith in the face of a challenge that you had to deal with? Can you think of a moment in your life like that? where you were facing a challenge and didn't feel like you had enough faith to meet the moment. All right? Now, I want to just get a raising of hands right now, real quick. How many people can think of a moment when they didn't have enough faith to meet a moment in their life and struggled to have faith? Look at that, look at that. Look at that, come on. The truth is, every single one of us has moments in our life where we don't have enough faith for a moment. All right? So I want to just 
give you the answer to that question. It's every one of us. So let's all stand together. If you have had a moment where you didn't have enough faith for a moment, stand up with me. So I want to I take a picture. <laughs> Here you are, being honest. And you know what I love about this? Stay standing for a minute. Is you look around. Just look around right now. Everybody struggles with their faith. Everybody has a moment where their faith is not enough for the moment they're facing. The problem is when we get into those places, we can get deceived into thinking it's A, because God has abandoned us. We blame God. I am facing this moment. My faith is not enough. God has left me. God has abandoned me. God isn't here. Number two, we blame ourselves. I'm not a good enough Christian. I, and we blame what we did do or didn't do, and we blame ourselves for not being smart enough, wise enough, shrewd enough, clever enough. We blame ourselves, we blame God, or we blame other people. We blame our spouse for the challenges that are facing our faith. We blame, you didn't do this, they didn't do that, and we can even get caught up in anger fantasies of what we're going to do to that other person as a distraction from what this moment is really about. And this moment is not because you did something wrong. We face these moments because God is going to put you in moments where your faith is not enough on purpose. Now, I want you to hear this loud and clear. I'm not saying we don't get into places because we've made poor choices. Sure, 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 sure. But I think more often than not, we face challenges where our faith isn't enough, not because we've done something wrong, but because God wants to grow our faith and take us to another level of our faith. And we get distracted, and we blame ourselves, we blame God, and we blame one another when God's like, it's none of the above. You are here because I'm taking your faith to a new place. Don't be discouraged. Be encouraged. I'm taking you up the mountain. Let's go. Because God wants to take you up the mountain with him. But the only way to go there is to let him stretch your faith with new challenges where you feel the gap of where your faith is. Where is God strengthening your faith right now? Is there some area of your life you just feel like, man, I've been beating myself up, I've been beating my spouse up, and God wants to reshift shift your perspective? There is no one to blame. God is saying, you are there, you are here, because I'm taking your faith to a new level. Come on, let's go up the mountain. Think about what he's saying to Peter. I am not going to die and suffer because God's plan is going off the rails or because, Peter, you didn't protect me or because I, as the Messiah, failed. I'm going there because that is God's will and that is the way God is going to bring his glory down on this earth. I'm going to the cross. Sometimes we have to carry crosses to get to the glory and we get confused and think the cross is a sign we've blown it somewhere. Come on now, people. God wants to strengthen your faith. Will you let him? Go ahead and take a seat. Listen, let me say something that's going to be very hard to hear, but this is so important that you get this. Every person experiences moments where their faith is not enough. Number two, faith has an ebb and flow to it. Faith can rise and faith can expand. Faith can weaken and diminish. And yes, 
you can give up ground of faith and abdicate it out of fear and doubt. Yes, it's true that you can have a position of faith where God has already walked you through and give up that position because you start to give into the lie where the enemy comes at you going, why are you here again? How did you get yourself into this situation again? And you can beat yourself up and give up that position of faith. And you can backslide. Faith can diminish and faith can rise. Faith can weaken and faith can expand. Faith is a gift from God. But get this, faith is a gift we can steward and cultivate and grow. Do you get that? It is a gift from God, but it's something that we can cultivate and grow. So when you are facing a moment where your strength is not enough, your, the strength of your faith is not enough, remember, it can be strengthened. Look at this verse right here with uh, the Father. He turns to Jesus and he says, I believe, help my unbelief. Isn't that beautiful? I love that moment because when he says, I believe, help my unbelief, Jesus doesn't say, well, you know what? You should have gone to church more, memorized more scripture, come back to me in a year when you got more faith and then we'll heal your son. I just love this moment because for the Father just to say, I believe, help my unbelief, it's honest about two things. Number one, we always have more faith than we give ourselves credit for. Sometimes in a situation like this Father's in, in a crisis, we lose sight of the faith that we have. If you have enough faith to call out to God to invite a loved one into your struggle, you have faith. If you have enough faith to admit the problem, you got some faith. But number two, when you don't have enough faith, God can increase your faith and strengthen it. And in fact, that is why you're there. How do you strengthen your faith? I want you to really talk about this later today. So when you go home, I'd love for you to talk about with your spouse, with a friend, with your kids, with your roommate, this question. How do you strengthen your faith? Number one, when have you struggled with your faith not being enough, and number two, how do you strengthen your faith? What do you do when your faith isn't there? Do you turn on your favorite Netflix and binge? All right, when the going gets tough, I go to Netflix, you know, and uh, forget my problems. Um, listen to this, Tozier, one of my favorite authors, says this, faith is the gaze of a soul upon a saving God. Where does, how do we strengthen our faith? Well, that's what Jesus is trying to show the disciples and us. He's trying to show us it comes by setting our eyes on God. And only prayer can do that in a special way. Listen to this. In verse 23, Jesus says to the Father, everything is possible for one who what? Who believes. Now get this. To the disciples, he says in verse 29, this kind can come out what? only by prayer. Now, right here in this moment, Jesus is linking faith with prayer. Now, get this. There are some things that you and I are going to face in life that can only be faced with prayer. There are things that we're going to face in life that can only be overcome by prayer. 
Now, I'm not saying all you're going to do is pray and that's it. What I'm saying is you're going to face situations in your life where unless you are willing to pray and get with God alone, your faith is going to falter and not rise to the occasion. And I know that sounds scary because you're thinking, I can't even juggle the ball one time, one minute of prayer, and I'm bored, you know, and your mind is over the fence. But I'm here to tell you this morning that according to Scripture, every one of you is hardwired to pray. Every one of you. Every human being is hardwired to pray. I've seen atheists pray. I prayed with people who have absolutely no religious background at all. And as the saying goes, there's no atheist in the foxhole, which means what? That there's something so natural about praying. And that's because God has hardwired his image into your soul. And every one of you has the ability to grow in prayer. I want to invite the band to come on out. And as the band comes out, I want to take... I want to really face this idea head on. The idea that there's some of us who are not wired to pray. Now, I know there's some people who make a whole living out of prayer. I mean, they pray four or five hours a day. God bless those guys. Just like there are people who can run ultra marathons, 100-mile races, got it. But every one of us can run. Every human being is built to run. Even more so, if you were willing to give yourself to prayer this year, God is going to expand that prayer, and he's going to use these moments where you feel like you're in over your head, where your faith isn't enough to draw you up the mountain into a new place of strength with him. Now, yeah, I want to invite the band to come on out. <laughs> so, you know, I'm trying to get you out on time. But... um. I got an idea. Don, are you up there? Yeah, can we show that video, the, uh, the NFL video? There's a, here's a cool example of someone who you know has been with God on the mountain is bringing prayer into this everyday moment. Last Monday, there was a football player who fell on the field with a cardiac arrest on Monday, uh, Damar Hamlin. And uh, there was this moment on ESPN where rather than talking about sports statistics, this commentator said, you know what we're going to do right now? We're going to pray. And I, I, I had that video. Do we have it? Um, yeah, I just want to watch this video for a minute. And uh, see if we can get the audio. You know, like, ah. this is a little bit different. I heard, I've heard it all day, like, thoughts and prayers. And you just heard Scherf and Jonathan Allen say, like, all we can do is pray for him. And I've heard the Buffalo Bills organization say, like, we believe in prayer. And maybe this is not the right thing to do, but I want it's just on my heart that I want to pray for It him. is. Damar Hamlin, right, right, right now. Um, I'm going to do it out loud. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to bow my head, and I'm just going to pray for him. Um, God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand, that are hard, uh, because we believe that you're God, and coming to you and praying to you um, has impact. We're, we're sad. We're angry. Um, and we want answers, but some things are unanswerable. We just want to pray. Truly come to you and pray for strength for Damar, for healing for Damar, for comfort for Damar, to be with his family, to give them peace. If we didn't believe that prayer didn't work, we wouldn't ask this of you, God. Um, I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. 
We lift up Damar Hamlin's name in your name. Amen. 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 Come on, I know. It's such a good illustration of this whole moment. God has got to teach us to go up the mountain with them so that as the people of God, we have the unique privilege and responsibility to bring the presence of God down into the world, into the challenges facing our family, our children, the challenges that are facing our friends and our world. We alone don't have the power. There are challenges facing our world and our families and our lives that alone we cannot face. And the world is hungry for a power and a solution that is greater than anything any human being can bring. And when we're willing to go up the mountain with God, God is going to give us his presence so that when we come down, we bring something different to the world. We bring something unique, something that politics and technology can't bring, that only the presence of God can bring. I want to do one last thing with you guys before we leave. Can I invite you to take a seat for a minute? I want to, I want to call somebody out of the crowd, well, a group of you. In this story, it, it shouldn't escape us that in this story, it's a father coming to Jesus about his son. And the, the father in the story is at the end of his rope and is not, doesn't have what it takes to meet the needs of his son. And I think that's hard for any parent to ever have to face, a moment where they don't have enough for what their kid needs. And in particular, I wanna call out you fathers for two things. Number one, if you're in a place where you feel like you're facing a challenge and the enemy is drilling down into you, you don't have enough. And he wants to discourage you, he wants to beat you up, he wants to tear you down, when today the Lord wants to raise you up and he wants to say to you, yeah, I never have enough, but my Father in heaven has more than enough and he is gonna give me everything I need for my family, for my children, for my family, for my life. God wants to strengthen you because as fathers, I think we can get really distracted on what we have to bring, on being the ones that have it all, that can provide. And sometimes we even lose sight of our families in the process of wanting to give them what we think we need, they need. But what they need is God's presence in you. What they need is to see you seeking God and trusting Him when you're at the end of yourself. More than anything else, our families need examples of fathers facing the challenges in their life by seeking God's face. And I want to encourage you right now, the example and the position that you have as a father to show your kids where a man of God goes when they are at the end of their rope. They go to God, they go to the Father, and they show faith and they find their strength there. And so I just wanna invite all the fathers in the room, just stand up, because we wanna pray for you. Every one of you fathers, if you're a grandfather, great-grandfather, new father, expecting father, come on, get up, get up. I'm singling you out in part because I wonder as a father myself, if it's more than even the mothers, it's more tempting for us to fall back on our own strength 
when we're facing challenges, to blame ourselves when our family doesn't have enough, rather than seeing the opportunity to grow our faith and to trust God. Sometimes we think we have to be God to our family, and you're not God. You're not the Savior. But God wants through you to show your family how to seek his face. Come on now. To show your kids how to get on their knees and call out to God and to see God show up. So we want to bless you right now with encouragement and strength today. So if you're sitting next to these fathers, would you stand and lay a hand on them? Because I know that these fathers are facing challenges. Lord, we pray for every father in this room who is carrying the weight that it's all up to them, and if they don't solve it, then it's all going to go to hell in a handbasket. And God, that is not true. We just renounce any lie over them that it's all up to them. Number two, we renounce together any lie over them that they are not made to pray. Any thought that has convinced them that, oh, that is for those people. That's for the Mother Teresas of the world. That is for those other mighty prayer warriors like Orville. And we feel intimidated when we look at Orville. But Lord, I want to pray right now that every man standing would know that they are anointed and called by you, God, to go with you up the mountain and to inherit their birthright as sons of God. And that, God, you have entrusted to them a legacy and an inheritance of prayer. And that when they call on you for their family, God, you will not deny them. I'm going to pray that over you again. I want to pray for confidence in every father that when they call out to you, God, for their family, that, God, you will not deny them. And lastly, I want to pray that you would give them ideas to invite their children and their family into prayer, that they would take initiative, that they would just open up opportunities to pray with their family and show their children this is what you do when you're in crisis. You call out to God. This is what you do when you want to get with God. You just meet with him in prayer. We bless you. May a spirit of prayer rest on you as a father today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come on. Amen. Before you go, before you go, I want to invite the prayer team to come on up. Prayer team. And if there is an area of your life that is just, you feel discouraged in prayer and you need a fresh boost of faith, come let us pray with you. Um, you don't need to do it alone. We want to invite you to come on up to the front. And for the rest of you, I'll see you next Sunday. God bless.